This morning, uh, Psalm 19, uh, go ahead and turn there with me. Um, really excited, it's one of my personal favorite psalms. There's nothing greater than the topic of God's glory. And um, so much in this text. Uh, so if, uh, if you're there with me, would you stand uh, for the reading of God's word? It says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world, and them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. Can we pray? Father, we have started in the right place this morning, before your throne. Would I pray this morning, God, that just as the heavens right now are screaming, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. He is worthy to be praised. May that be our heart song this morning. God, I pray that, that your word will be heard, that it will be seen. God, I thank you that that you have revealed yourself both the creation and the word. And Lord, I pray this morning, God, may we respond accordingly. Or teach us, show us your glory this morning. Teach us more about Jesus. And Lord, lead us now for the rest of this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, um, like I said in the prayer, we started in the right place. Uh, the very last song said that all of creation sings the worship of God continuously. And when you join in congregational singing every single Sunday, you in essence are doing the exact same thing. You're responding. Everything in life is about response. So we see something, we respond to it. This morning when we see the glory of God, our response should be falling on our knees, worshiping Him. So this morning in this text, um, I just want to approach it from three different Angles. Uh, the first being more from a theological perspective, and I'll go into that in just in a few moments. Secondly, through a kind of like a word study, middle through this text, we will uh, look through a few different words just to see what they mean in the traditional context. And finally, basically, I want to look at what is our response to this text as worshipers of God. So my prayer is that God's word looks beautiful to you this morning and that you and I both see why we must cling to his word. So let's dive right into it. 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech nor words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So I just said that we're going to go from a theological perspective just really quick. Um, usually, this is not always the case, but in most cases, if you open up a theology book, I've had three or four in seminary, two or three here at Parkwood, no matter what, in most situations, you turn the first few chapters of the theology book, and where does it always start? The person of God. Why? If we don't understand who God is, we never understand who we are as people. We never understand what the church is about. We never send away like angels and all those incredible truths in Scripture. If we don't first have a glimpse and a foundation of who God is, it is impossible to ever start anywhere else. So 
In those textbooks, there's two different definitions I'd like you to write down with me this morning. The first being general revelation. Uh, general revelation is God's self-disclosure through creation. I'll say that again. General revelation is God's self-disclosure through creation. Now, here's what that means. This revelation is available to all people. It provides basic foundational truths about God's existence and attributes. Psalm 56 says, The heavens declare His righteousness, for God Himself is judge. And you and I both know the incredible scene of Isaiah 6. In the middle of the throne room of God, Isaiah sees God on His throne. And what do the two angels yell back at each other? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. John Piper, one time, reading Isaiah 6, said that the glory of God is God's holiness being revealed. That the glory of God is God's holiness being revealed. So if that is true this morning, then when we behold God's glory then, we in essence behold something about Him. We begin to understand that the one who created everything is set apart. He's different. He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's much greater than any one of us could ever imagine being. David says in the psalm that when we look up into the sky and behold the beautiful chandeliers that are hanging above us, lighting our day, lighting our night, when we behold a set of beautiful clouds rushing through right before a storm. Uh, I don't know about you, one of my favorite things on Facebook is going looking at Daryl Crawford. He's one of a member of our church. Daryl Crawford takes a lot of pictures of the scenery right behind his house. He lives on Moss Lake. Um, if it don't rain this afternoon, by the way, we're going to be at Daryl Crawford's house, but it's probably going to rain. <laughs> Daryl Crawford takes pictures almost every day of beautiful sunsets and, and sunrises, and it's just pictures that who could ever imagine? And David says, when we look up into the skies, look up into the heavens, in essence, we behold the glory of God. Verse 1 continually says that the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens above are a beaming billboard full of spectacle and beauty, all screaming one thing, that God created me. A couple statistics for you about space. There's about 10 billion galaxies in the observable universe. The number of stars in each galaxy obviously varies, but... Assuming an average of 100 billion stars per galaxy, that would mean, listen to this, that there's 1 billion trillion stars in the, uh, in the foreseeable universe. 1 billion trillion, trillion, that is a lot of zeros. And here's a humbling thought. God made each one, and Scripture says He has named each one by name. But let's go further than that. Not only do the heavens proclaim God's glory, but all of creation is a massive billboard pointing directly to its creator. And that's including both me and you. All of creation is playing in an incredible universal symphony, all playing the exact same tune in perfect harmony. And their song is titled, God, Creator of Heaven and Earth. And here's a humbling thought. It says that, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. And notice the faithfulness of the heavens' testimony. 
Back, back at verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. These words are participle forms of, of verbs expressing continuous revelation. So in other words, we could say that the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The sky above continues to proclaim His handiwork. And this same idea is continued in verses 2 through 4. Day to day pours out speech, night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor their words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. So the heavens do not proclaim God's glory one day and stop the next. They constantly proclaim God's glory. In fact, they never stop. Quote by Spurgeon, Though all preachers on earth should grow silent, and every human mouth cease from publishing the glory of God, the heavens above will never cease to declare and proclaim His majesty and glory. They are forever preaching, for like an unbroken chain, their message is delivered from day to day, from night to night. Out of all of creation this day, you and I are the only ones in all of God's creation who have the audacity to look right into His eyes and say, we will not proclaim you, we will not worship you. We're wicked, we're sinful, yet... Heavens, the creation is a continuous declaration of all that God is. But notice that the heavens continuously proclaim God's glory, but also notice how far their message goes. Verses 3 and 4. There is no speech, nor their words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So, Natural revelation, general revelation, what we're talking about here, is without words and is universal. It's unrestricted by the divisions of languages. It transcends human communication without a use of speech, words, and sound. So you and I cannot speak to another individual without an interpreter if we speak a different language. Scripture says that the heavens have a universal language. It speaks to every single people in this world. There's not a single person who cannot hear this message. So that should tell us something this morning. We as humans have no excuse to say that there is no God. Atheism is falsehood, is foolish, it is a complete lie. God's faithful messengers in creation are relentlessly proclaiming God's power majesty, wisdom, and wonder to this world, to every single person. And this is exactly what we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. It says that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So the path the issue is this. Far too many people, false religions, atheists, and, and, and just false ideas, we stop at creation. We hold, and it's beautiful things. We look at the sky, and it's beautiful. We look at things around us, and it's overwhelming. Have you ever been to the beach, laying on the sand, just looking out at the waves crashing? There's nothing more peaceful. There's nothing more relaxing. There's nothing as beautiful as God's creation. But the problem is many people stop at God's creation and worship the things that 
in fact, are supposed to point to its creator. David says today, if you and I look up into the heavens, that they declare the glory of God. God has chosen to reveal his eternal power, divine nature through his creation to every person on this planet. David just doesn't stop in the heavens, though. He uses then the sun as an example of creation showing God's glory. So go to the verses 5 and 6. In them, the heavens, he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So, Verses 5 and 6, David here points to the sun as an illustration of the supreme splendor, the swiftness, and astonishing power of God, our creator. Here's a cool sun fact. The sun is 864,400 miles across, which is about 109 times the diameter of the earth. The sun weighs, this is crazy, 333,000 times as much as the earth, and it's so large that 1 million 300,000 planets can fit inside of it. But do you remember Psalm 95? It says that the depths of the earth are in the hands of God. So if the sun is so magnificent and so powerful and so strong, just imagine how incredible, how magnificent, how strong our God is. He is the one who created it. So this brings us to an important question. Um, if general revelation reaches every single person on this planet, so there's not a single person who has an excuse not to know that there is a God in heaven, the question is, is that general revelation, that, that basic truth of who, that there is a God, is that enough for the salvation of a person's soul? Is That's a fair question. So if there's an unreached person, third world country, across the globe, who's never heard of Jesus, and the only thing they have their whole life is a revelation that there is a God in heaven. Is that enough to save their soul? And I would answer through Scripture that no, it's not. It's not enough. Listen to Romans 10, verses 14 through 17. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone Preaching, and how are they to preach unless they are sent, as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So here it is. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing from the word of Christ. So this morning, outside of God's revelation of himself, through hearing and believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, through his word, a person can never be saved. And that leads us to our second theological definition this morning, which is special revelation. So the first half there was about general revelation, a basic revelation that God exists in the universe, is seen, is continuously seen through his creation. Special revelation is God's manifested greatness to people through his inspired word, the Bible. Let me read that again. Special revelation is God's manifested greatness to people through his word, the Bible. And here's the special part of this. The revelation is special because it goes beyond elementary truths 
of general revelation, and it testifies to how a person may know God and how he or she may live in a manner pleasing to him. So this morning, general revelation isn't enough for an individual. Yes, it's how we know basic truths of who God is. We know basic characteristics of who God is. But if we were to ever have an abiding, personal, intimate relationship with God the Creator, He must reveal Himself to us through His Word. Let's drop down to verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. Rejoice in the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. So a few um, just textual notes to place. Uh, go back to verse 1. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The word there for God is E-L-L, which means creator God. So you could read it. The heavens declare the glory of creator God. Now go back down to verse 7. David says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Lord, capital letters, all capital letters, is God's covenantal name, which is Yahweh. Question, how did David know that creator God's name is Yahweh? Through his abiding word. David shifts from praising the God who reveals himself in creation to praising the same God for revealing himself in his words. David is saying, creation tells us much about God, but his word tells us much more. So here's just a little note for us believers this morning. The Bible must be central in our lives because it is how God has chosen to reveal his story our problem, His plan, and our redemption to us. It is how He has chosen to reveal how you and I can know Him and have a personal relationship with Him. So, second thing I said, I'd, we want to go to like a small word study. Um, we're going to do that here at 7 through 9. Because David in this passage writes out various characteristics, results about and from Scripture. Um, so let's just take a few minutes. Let's dive into those. We're going to take them a, a little at a time. Uh, uh, I'll try to read slow. I'm from the country and I like talking fast. So uh, um, here's just a couple. Here's a quick note before we get into it. Each statement about the Word of God in seven through nine reveals purpose. There's a purpose, and it's all intended to be taken all together comprehensively, not in isolation. So we read all of these with one main purpose. Okay. So let's go to verse seven. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The, the law, the word law there refers to the Torah. The Torah meaning doctrine, teaching, instruction. So in other words, God's teaching, instruction is perfect. What's perfect mean? Complete, whole, sufficient. It lacks nothing. It covers every aspect of life and godliness. The Bible this morning, church, is all that you and I need. And listen to it. David writes that this perfect instruction revives the soul. Reviving meaning it brings to life. Believers this morning have been born again by the light, living and abiding word of God. The Bible is a living book full of divine, supernatural life and the very life of God himself. Let's do the next thing. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise the simple. Where testimony there means to bear witness, 
It's a formal statement uh, made under oath. Uh, in this testimony, this, this oath, this, um, this statement is sure. The testimony of the Lord is sure. What's that? What does that mean? It's, it's reliable. It's accurate. It's permanent. It never wavers. It's immovable. It's a fortress. It's a solid rock. The word of God this morning is sure, foundational. That's encouraging for you and I because there's a lot of unsure things that happen in this world. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed what's going to happen the next day. But one thing that we know for sure is that God's word is always positively, absolutely accurate, always solid in every aspect of what it is and says. Next thing. It says that this testimony that is sure makes wise the simple. In other words, it instructs the simple, the childlike with the wisdom of God. Mark 10, 15 says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. David continues in that verse 8, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts literally refers to an authoritative charge or command that is binding upon the listener. It's, it's authoritative. And his authoritative charge is right, meaning it's morally right, it's just, it's perfect again. God's word always directs God's people in the right way, the way that pleases God. And God's just commands gives joy to the inner self. Believers, we must delight in the Lord. Why? Because he has revealed himself to us through it. Continue on. The commandment of the Lord is pure. Enlightening the eyes. Note here, notice that, that the word commandment, it's not plural, it's singular. So, so David says that all of this together, he's combining all scripture together here. He's saying this commandment, so this commandment is it's basically what God has prescribed for his people to do. This commandment. All of this together is what God's called his people to do. This commandment is pure. There's no evil. There's no darkness found in it. Everything he says is unadulterated purity and perfection. This verse says that this pure commandment opens our eyes to behold the glory and wonder of all that he is. Isn't that the prayer? of every believer this morning, that the blind will see that God would open the eyes of their souls. Verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. David here uses fear of the Lord as reference for the word. and This fear of the Lord refers to the parts of God's law that evoke reverence and worship. It refers to parts of God's law that evoke reverence and worship. It's a quote. The fear of God must be understood in the active sense of the doctrine, which teaches us how God is to be served. The wrong way to fear God is through human interventions of false worship, which only bring down the divine displeasure. So this fear of the Lord is clean. It's, it's, it's pure. It's uncorrupt. And it's the good news this morning. The fear will remain in force forever. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, 
but the word of our God will stand forever. You and I are used to four-year, eight-year terms and presidencies. We, we see human empires come and go. We see new buildings, legislation. We see human achievements continually fading away. But the word of God will last forever. Continue on to verse 9. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous all together. Rules here meaning it's a determination of right and wrong. It, it, it represents a judicial decision that declares a definite and binding law. So God's definite defining law is true. It's trustworthy. It's faithful. They never fail. And this is not a small word. They are righteous. God's throne is built on righteousness. It's built on truth. And God's word is righteous all together. They conform with justice completely. Scripture never wavers from one side or the other. God's rules are completely righteous in every way. So let's summarize verses 7 through 9 here then. We can simply say with David that God's entire word, the entire word, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, all 66 books, are beneficial for both life and godliness. Church, we must read it, we must heed it, we must listen it and live by His written and inspired Word. We were created and are sustained by God's Word. And as believers, we must be Bible people who live by every word God has written. One of my favorite songs over the past three years says, Written in a billion skies, written in this heart of mine, knowing that I am with all of creation, hanging on every single word that you say. May we be Bible people this morning, church. David continues in verse 10 here that the Bible is more valuable than anything this world can offer. It is more valuable than the most precious items known to man. It satisfies, fulfills our deepest spiritual hunger to know and savor all that God is. Go to verse 10. It's more to be desired, are they, than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Peter says it like this for believers. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. The Bible should be precious, should be central in our lives. And my response to that is, church, may that be so. May we delight and enjoy and earnestly seek and abide in the word of God, because this is how God has graciously revealed himself and his will to you and I. So what? Got two questions for you this morning. Uh, the first one me: do I rely on the word of God to reveal my heart and direct my path? I'm going to read that again. Do I rely on the word of God to reveal my heart and direct my path? In essence, when we spend time in God's Word, um, should always lead us to a response. Like I said at the very beginning, everything in life, there is always a response to something. Isaiah, what does Isaiah say? Uh, he sees the glory of God. What's the very first thing he says? Woe is me. He's wrecked. This morning, you should be wrecked when you open the Bible. 
Why? Because it teaches us about him. It, it shows us the glory and majesty and all these incredible truths of that, who God is and what he's doing and what he's going to do. It teaches us who we are as people. It teaches us how God sent his son to die for us. And in this passage, in verses 11 through 14, this is basically David's response to the glory of God revealed in his word. He's having an Isaiah moment here. He, he says, verses 1 through 10 are absolutely true. And since they are true, this is my response to that. Listen to it. Verse 11, moreover by them, by what? The word, is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. This morning, God's word warns us against temptation, against sin, against error, against spiritual danger, and things that are displeasing to God our Father. Hebrews says it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Second Timothy, it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It equips us for every good work. Believer, keep God's word. Hold fast to it. Live by it, through it. There's great reward still to come when we see Jesus, our Savior, one day. Go to verse 12. David continues, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So David, uh, after seeing the glory of God revealed through Scripture, he looks at himself and sees how depraved he really is as a human being. As humans, our hearts are hard, they're broken, they're completely full of sin. It says here that we're so sinful, there's sin in our life that we don't even know about. If we're true to ourselves, there's a lot of sins that's behind closed doors that we think nobody ever sees. But I got good and bad news this morning that God sees every single one. There's nothing hidden from God. And when, when we encounter him in his word, we're wrecked. We realize how depraved we really are as human beings. You see, the word of God penetrates the heart of man, exposing his sinfulness, reflecting God's glory, and shows us that Christ alone can justify a broken sinner. This morning, we need a Savior to free us from ourselves. Verse 13. David says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. So listen to the heart of David. He not only realizes that he is prone to wander, he realizes that he is prone to willful sin. And according to Romans 7, you and I are in the same boat. The flesh and spirit continually battle each other. We want to do one thing, but we do the other. We, we know we need to do this thing, but we continue to do this over here. We are a mess. And the only hope we ever have is in Jesus Christ. We are helpless outside of the, His sustaining and saving grace. Only the Word, through His Word, by the power of the Spirit, can set me free from dominion of sin. Listen to Paul in Romans 6. For the death he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Church, if the Son has set you free today, you are absolutely 
free indeed. And David would say, then I shall be blameless. Second question. Do I rely on the grace of God revealed in the word of God to live for the glory of God? Let me read that one more time. Do I rely on the grace of God revealed in the word of God to live for the glory of God? Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The Lord reveals himself to David through scripture. and David responding now as a redeemed creature of God prays that his express and unspoken words may be acceptable to his God, his, his rock, his redeemer, namely Yahweh, the covenant-loving God. And believer, this should be your prayer, my prayer today. Why? I would say it's the most natural thing you do in your life. You do things for those you love. I've been married almost for a year. Even before marriage, I got a dog before I was, when I was scared of dogs for my fiancé at the time. Uh, love makes you do crazy things, doesn't it? Every person should nod their head. Uh, and why would that be any different in our relationship with Jesus? If Jesus is our delight, if he's our treasure... He's the one we hold on to and cling to. Why would verse 14 not be our prayer every single day? Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My rock, my redeemer. Here's a quote. Only the word of God applied by the spirit of God can make David's mouth and heart pleasing before God's all-knowing gaze. You see, God is David's rock his fortress, his shield, his salvation, his redeemer, and his desire is to live for God's glory in renown. This morning, we look to Christ, our redeemer, our God, our savior, for he alone can make the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight. You see, in a lot of ways, this text is a lot of figure of Jesus. The same way that we cannot escape the heat of the sun, the same way the day the universe cannot escape Christ's kingdom. The same way the heavens are a continual faithful messenger of God's glory. The same way today, Jesus is the perfect, absolutely holy messenger of God in which we can understand and know God our Father. Through God's mercy, He has revealed His Son to us, who is the exact imprint of His Father. We see the glory of God through the face of Jesus Christ. And like David, you and me today, Jesus lived a perfect life. He fulfilled everything the law demands. He bore the wrath of God in our place on the cross, defeating sin and death. He was buried three days, rose again, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father reigning forever. He alone this morning is our righteousness. He alone is our hope. If you want to see the Father, you must look to the Son. So two more passages, and I promise we're done. Uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We'll start at verse 15. Let's give you a moment to turn there. Colossians 1, verse 15. 
It says, uh, he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, listen, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of this cross. Church, if you want to see the glory and beauty of God the Father, you must look to Christ the Son. You must repent of your sins, believe in the person and work of Jesus, for he alone can free you from your depravity and sin. And this is my encouragement, last encouragement. This is how we're going to close. Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, 1 through 2. In light of the mercies God has bestowed on us through Christ, I simply call you to this passage. Verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, may that be so. Let us pray. Lord, this text uh, in so many ways just stirs my heart to enjoy and savor your word, your, your Bible. I think about the thousands of people who have died to preserve this text over the hundreds of years. Faithful men and women who just wanted to share God's word to other people. And Lord, my prayer this morning is for every single person in this room. God, may we continue to stand firm with that flame in our hand, preaching the word of God, living by it, savoring it, enjoying it every day, every moment, thinking upon it, resting in it. Lord, I pray this morning for the unbeliever. God, I pray that your word penetrates their heart. Jesus, the perfect living word of God, came to free a bunch of broken, sin, 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 sinful people. And it's only by seeing and looking and, and gazing upon the face of Christ can we ever actually understand and behold and have a relationship with God our Father. So would I pray this morning that you would call people to repentance. Lord, forgive us of times when we don't get in your word. Forgive us of times when we delight in other things rather than you. Stir our hearts. Use us for your glory. Just as the heavens above, may we continually sing the incredible tune that Christ, our Savior, reigns forever and ever. And he alone is our hope, our righteousness, Lord. So lead us now in this time of response. May we simply sing with everything that we are, worshiping 
the God who created us.